Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch, the place where I talk to fascinating guests over a number of courses. In this case, 21 courses to be precise. I'll explain why in a minute. Today I chat to an actor, screenwriter and director who has always made his own way. He didn't go to drama school, spend time on writing courses or even do a paid apprenticeship on a film set. He pretty much taught himself everything he knows. And the result? He's been in Doctor Who and Star Trek. He wrote, directed and starred in the movie trilogy Kid Adulthood, Adulthood and Brotherhood. He's won a Laurence Olivier Award and a BAFTA. It's really not bad for a boy from Ladbroke Grove who was told by teachers he should be a labourer. It's the brilliant Noel Clark. Your home was, was opposite Grenfell Town? Opposite, yeah. I got the text and I couldn't believe it. And as soon as I saw I was supposed to go to an X-Men audition and I came straight down and I was here for two days. So this episode is recorded at Endo, which is the uh, fancy sushi restaurant of a great chef called Endo Katsutoshi, which is why there are 21 courses. It's not 21 dishes, it's lots of lovely little tasting menu bits, some sushi, little bowls of things, maybe a soup. We haven't gone face down in a bacchanalian orgy. It's located on the top floor of what used to be BBC TV Centre, the old rotunda in White City, with marvellous views over the city. We are obviously here in person because we're out of lockdown. I suspect we might go back into lockdown, but at the moment we are able to eat face-to-face if socially distanced. Um, However, the staff are all masked, as they should be. Um, They told us lots of stories about the food, introduced every dish, um, and there was a great conversation, lots of shouting and all of that sort of stuff. Sadly, because of the masks, quite a lot of it is inaudible and it's had to be cut. But you will understand from what Noel and I say to each other exactly what's going on as we have a fabulous meal and a fabulous conversation. So... Me, Noel Clark, Endo. Let's go inside. Noel, I'm very well. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Ah, <laughs> I've missed the food, man. Which was going to be my first question. Yeah. You, unusually for our, our guests. Usually, unusually for our guests, you actually chose yes. this Endo. Yes. How often do you come? When I finished filming Bulletproof 2 last year, one of the actors told me, this is an amazing place called Endo, where you go and it's the most amazing sushi and and food and you go around, not many people are are in there and you just have to try it if you like sushi. I'm like, I love sushi. And I came and it's just the most amazing food. I loved the whole presentation and, and, and the way it was and how intimate it was. And I think my wife and I then came every two weeks, every two weeks for the following few months and bought fr- we'd bring friends every, all, all the time. And Well, I, I think I should explain that normally when we do this, it's three or four courses and there's a, an occasional moment where a waiter comes and delivers a dish and says, this is going to be different. I think we've got 18, 21 courses to arrive. Yeah. Chef Endo will place some of them in our hands and things like that so it's going to be a totally different dynamic it's a totally different and if anybody listening has a problem with that it's all Noel's fault it's nothing <laughs> to do with me because this was your call before we get to that I dialed up a map you can't see it because of the towers that are being built but 800 meters that way is Grenfell yes and it suddenly struck me that this is almost a physical metaphor us being up here for the journey you've been on because you grew up 30 metres. Your, your opposite. home was, was opposite Grenfell Opposite, Town. yeah. Yeah, it was. That tower was <laughs> weirdly like family because from my whole life, looking out of my kitchen window was Grenfell Tower. 
I've been in there countless times from when, when I was a little seven-year-old and me and my friends would go up to the top and throw eggs off the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I became a teenager, I had friends in there, had girlfriends in there. It was just there. Even on the day when my mum texted me, the night, three o'clock in the morning, and I got it the next morning, she said, oh God, Grenfell Tower's on fire. And bear in mind, my mum saw that tower get built. So for her, seeing that sort of burning was immense. And I got the text and I couldn't believe it. And as soon as I saw, I was supposed to go to an X-Men audition. I remember getting ready to head there early. I was gonna get down there, sit and have a coffee, read the stuff, whatever. And then flipped on GMTV or whatever it was called, whatever it's called these days. And was like, oh my God. And I came straight down and I was here for two days. What were you doing? Well, firstly, I went to see my mum because she was within the quarantine zone where they said, if yeah. this falls down, like there's a quarantine zone of this amount, she lived, with, she lived within that zone. So firstly, I had to convince them that my mum lived there so the police let me in so I could go in and, and, and see her and be like, right, you need to get out. Because the last time anyone had seen towers burn like that, they fell down. Indeed. So I was like, we need to get you out. She's like, is it gonna? I said, I don't know, but we do. so we got her out. And then I was there for two days in the Westway Sports Centre, making beds and dealing with people that were bringing clothes and, and bedding so we could make beds in, in, the, in the Westway Sports Centre. Was that the place where you also trained as a... No, that was, that was the other side of, oh, right. of Grenfell, which was Kensington Leisure Centre. Some of the firemen that went in the tower were friends of mine that worked. We all worked in the sports centre together. One of the things that also struck me about being here at Endo is it's almost like being on a balcony looking out over the London that has been the subject of significant parts of your work. I mean, you can literally see Westfield over there, which yeah. turns up in Brotherhood. Yeah, and 4321 uh, was the first movie to film there in 2010. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. And then if we move slightly to the left, well, behind these towers, which again are a symbol of what's happened what's in London, aren't they? Yeah. The towers behind there were, were just a backdrop of my life. All the hood films were set there because that's what I knew. Ah. No, please Good interrupt. Afternoon. Good afternoon. So we have a little uh, beautiful cut crystal glass with tea in it and a, what's called a spherification, invented by Ferran Adria in Spain oh, right, about nice. 1995. Fantastic. I'm learning something. Oh, okay, interesting. Slightly sour, slightly effervescent. Yeah. You've had this before? No, this is, oh, really? this, this is apparently we're the first people to try the new menu. Excellent. What did you think life was going to be about for you? What possibilities were placed in front of you? It, it was a single parent household. Your mum was a very hardworking nurse. Yeah. You were walking yourself to school at the age of six. Seven, and six seven, yeah. yeah, we weren't supposed to achieve anything. Our teachers, until I got to sixth form college, there wasn't any teacher that was like, you can do this. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead Plus to that. Driving, maybe. There were clearly a couple of teachers at that sixth form college yeah. who, if anybody changed your life, yeah. it was them. Yes. I started to understand that I was a practical learner. Instead of a book about an edit suite, there was an edit suite. <laughs> I suddenly, they would be like, push this, do this, turn that, and then that does that. And I was like, oh, and I became like the best editor in the, in the media class. Because now that I could see it, and that I realized that I learned in a more tactile way. And there were two teachers there. Well, there was, there was a Mr. Lynch, who, who was a media teacher, who was really fun. But then my second year, a teacher called Andy Jones came, and a teacher called Kerry O'Connell. Kerry O'Connell was a theater studies teacher. 
and just was so like free. It's important that you're name checking these people, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I still speak to them. And Mr. Jones, you know, we're supposed to study Shakespeare and love and this, that and the other. And he was like, hey man, Pulp Fiction, you've got to watch Pulp Fiction. And I watched Pulp Fiction and some of the films he was telling us to watch and it blew my mind. We have a film that we love in common, which is Kevin Smith's debut. Clerks. Clerks, which... 100%. And if you haven't seen Clerks, you have to see Clerks. <laughs> it's in black and white. I think they shot it for, for 15 bucks. I yeah, mean, it's, something like that, yeah. It's all in a video shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's... In, it, it almost shows you what can be done if you're on the outside. It's yeah. an outsider movie, isn't it? 100%. There's a section where they discuss hermaphrodite porn. Yeah. Which I remember doing. Really? At 15 or whatever, 16, or I don't know. You know, Mr. Jones saying, you can do what you want in film. And I was like, you can? Uh, I, I should say the, the sound we can hear is Chef Endo is working the sushi rice, I believe. Yeah. And, um, I love this. I love it. Um, <laughs> It's a whole it's, it's a performance, it's theatre. It is theatre. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. yeah, thank you. For your first course today, you're gonna have our lobster miso soup. So we have lobster miso. Oh my god. Oh my. <laughs> you know that miso. So I, I find it from Kobe, Japan. From Kobe, uh, Japan, yeah. That one is organic, of course. Also, that one is that miso company uh, factory is 200 years history. Wow. So you're working in the gym mm -hmm. over there. Mm -hmm. What was the break? What happened? The sports centre was very useful because even though it was in the rougher part of Labrador Royal, it was still Kensington and Chelsea. So people used to come there. Sinead O'Connor would come there. Paul Yates would come there. I would Ruby Wax would come there. I would meet people that were. So I knew it was a media place. It, it should be said, just so that people understand the geography, where Grenfell is, where, where is, was it 15 minutes walk to High Street, Kent? Yeah, it's the north of Kensington and Chelsea. Yeah. North Kensington, yeah. Every time you tell people, well, you know, you lived in that borough, they were, ooh, Lardy Dar, and you're like me. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, not Lardy Dar where I used to live. And, but there was an aerobics instructor there called Ricky Beadle Blair. And Ricky Beadle Blair, unbeknownst to me, was also a writer-director who'd written a lot of theatre and was getting his first, a sequel to a play he wrote called Boys and Girls or Girls and Boys, was getting made into a TV pilot called Metrosexuality. Right. He'd known me for a while, just like the, the guy that sets up the aerobic stuff. And, and I heard about this and I asked him if I could audition. He said, well, can you act? I said, yeah, yeah, of course I can act. He said, no, but can you really? I said, well, I, I think so. And he said, look, if I give you an opportunity to come in an audition against all these other actors, you cannot let me down because if you do, it's going to look bad on me and I'm supposed to be directing this thing. I said, I won't let you down. And I learned that thing backwards, forwards, sideways. And I just did the audition. And I think the day after, or maybe the same day, I don't remember, I got called and they said they loved you and they, they, they want you to do it. And that, that was the beginning. Good. Nice to meet you. This is my business card. Ah, your business card. Just Laura up and eat, that's it. Right. His favorite. I will say that your business card is a piece of nori huh, yeah. with toro, yeah. that, tuna. That seaweed as well, it's my original own brand seaweed. Okay. I made by myself. Okay. Explain what metrosexuality was, the plot to it, because it's always struck me as quite a brave thing for you to have done. It, it was. For metrosexuality, the plot of metrosexuality was a young black man who has two gay parents a gay dad and, and a boyfriend and then the mum's an alcoholic and 
it was about sort of the LGBT community. A lot of the friends, the friends were bisexual and trans and this, that, and the other. I mean, the show is so far ahead of its time. It's, it's laughable now when you think about how far ahead of it was. But for someone, again, my age, it was like a big deal. I remember at the time, certain friends of mine saying, you can't do that. What was your part? You were playing? I played the son of right. the two gay men. The barbers that I used to go to at the time said, if you do that show, you can't come back in it. Did it give you pause? Because community... I was terrified. Pink Bream. Thank you so much. Pink Bream. Yes. Lovely. Look at this. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Um, I was legitimately terrified of, like, repercussions in, in the area. Like, walking... That show coming on and people walking around and be like... You know, and, and doing something to me. I was terrified, but... Kind of like, well, this is what you've been dreaming about, you know, being an actor. So, either you want to do it or you don't. How developed was your imposter syndrome that first day? <laughs> or did you not have one? I didn't have one. This is some squid with a little flush of white, I think that's white truffle across the top. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... <laughs> This episode of Out to Lunch is brought to you by a bunch of expletives as we completely... Ex- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Gasp slightly mm, in joy. Because mm, mm. I didn't in- understand the business, I just went into it believing I could do it. I'm probably jumping a little bit, but I remember when I was nominated for the Olivier and everyone around me was like, oh my God, that is an amazing thing. And I was like, didn't matter to me. I didn't understand that to, to them, the Olivier was the be all and end all of the, like if you got an Olivier, you were like, I didn't get that. The extraordinary thing is, sorry. This is oyster. That's a warm oyster on warm sushi rice. I'm loving that. Oh my God. But this, I mean, we are jumping slightly, but you ended up in that play because, am I right that either a casting director or agent said, well, you're not going to be able to do this kind of work because you've never done any theatre, and so you said to your agent, well, get me a part in a play. Yeah, let's do some theatre, and I did a few plays, yeah. Then I did one in the Oval House, and this was a big deal as well because this was one called Talking About Men. This is a theatre right by Oval Station in South yeah. London, yeah. yeah. But this is one called Talking About Men where I did have to play a gay man. And I remember again being terrified and telling my agent and this was one of the best things anyone's ever said to me she said darling did she say darling yeah darling darling I took you on when nobody wanted to take you on you've only got a couple of jobs you said you wanted to do theatre I've got you theatre you're either going to be someone who likes acting or you're going to be an actor if you're someone who likes acting just tell me now and we can put you in a soap and I can sit there collecting my money for however many years but if you want to be an actor and be challenged and be scared and this scares you, this is a job you should take. And so I took it. And it was that play at the Oval House that got me seen by someone that then got me in for the Royal Court play. And there was the Royal Court play which got you the Olivier Award. Yes. This tempura monkfish is extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. It's in a sort of sweet, sour, uh, savoury sauce. That is good, boy. Gotta tell you. (laughs) It's very good. Yeah, so your your mum came over from Trinidad. Yes. Worked her ass off as a nurse. Yep. Every hour God gives. Yeah. And you choose a career which is oh. the definition of insecure. Unsta- unstable and insecure, yeah. I know. Did you ever get a sense of her putting her hair out? Or was she, all right, Noel, off you go. I remember when I was still working in the gym, getting offered a job. And I had to tell her about this because it was, it was quite a big deal. I got offered a job that was on um, 
one of the soaps that, that isn't around anymore, they offered me like 1,500 pound a week, total like 75,000 pound a year. And I remember going home and telling my mum, yes, Lord, like it was just like, she was ecstatic. She's a pediatric nurse saving lives. You know what they get paid now, so you can only imagine what they got paid back then, nothing, right? Here I am wanting to be a jester and they offer me this money. And she's celebrating. I knew I came here for a reason, and this is this is the very this is why I came here. So you could do better, you could have a better life than me. I said, Mum, I can't do it. What? Like she could not understand it. This is no disrespect to any of the actors in those things or anything like that. I said, I think I can do more. And she said, What do you mean more? You wanted to act, you're an actor, they've offered you an acting job. I just said, I think I have more to say and more to do than than just do that. And I didn't take it and she was very upset by that. You've said that Kid Hood, you made it in 2004, it was released in 2006? Yes. Yeah, it takes a while. I wrote it in 2000. You, you have said that you were moved to write that yeah. by seeing a play that really pissed you off. <laughs> I saw a play at the Royal Court. You know, I don't want to name it or, or the writer because I, I quite like him. But <laughs> it was about a specific subject, but was about the culture and the way we spoke and the way we were. And it was so inaccurate. And at the end of the play, people got up and were like, oh, this is wonderful. Oh my God, beautiful, such, so authentic. And I'm in there like, this, this is not authentic. When you say the culture, you're saying the life on the streets of urban cities that you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 the area, and the areas, and the writer was supposedly, or, or was from kind of the same area. But they're, they're a different type of person to me. Like, I was not a gangster, I was not a criminal, I was not anything like that, but I knew people that were, I was on the roads. Like, I was, you know, those guys knew me. This guy kind of wasn't that way. It was almost like pulling the wool over people's eyes. Were you angry? I was angry. You're writing about my area, and that's not how, that's not how it is. The other catalyst was them, Notting Hill came out. The Richard Curtis movie. The Richard movie. Curtis movie. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to represent your hood, is it? But it is my hood. Well, exactly. It's, this is the point. It's exactly the same area. I live five minutes walk from that blue door. And I saw that movie, and there was not one thing in that movie that represented, thank you, my experience. And of course I'm older now. I now know that that was his experience. Like, I don't dislike that film. I love that film. Like, people always, when I say this, people go, oh, and he's bashing Notting Hill. I'm not bashing Notting Hill. I love Notting Hill. I thought Reese Iffins was the funniest thing I'd ever seen at the time. The next course in front of you, we've got our quail kuwa This quail is coming from Congo, perfect for the season. Very special about it, it's been smoked with our homegrown bamboo. Thank you so much. Well, when they say they're homegrown bamboo, it's actually growing on the balcony outside. <laughs> very gentle, very Oh my God. You've been to enough red carpet I've events. You've had a bit. Have you met Richard Curtis since? Yeah, I've met him a few times. And have you talked about it? Does he know that your concern over Notting Hill not representing your Notting Hill was the reason that you wrote? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have heard it somewhere. And whether he's annoyed or not, I don't know. But the thing is, I don't dislike the movie. I love the movie, yeah. but it's the exact same area. And I didn't see anything that remotely. I was like, well, that's not my experience. This is my experience. So those two things combined are, are, were the catalyst for me writing Kid Otwood. I have to say, uh, on the block in front is some uh, scallops, sashimi, mm. and some caviar. 
Our life's hell today, isn't it? No. It's terrible. Terrible. Um, As he eats his quail. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful quail. For, no, for someone who hasn't seen it, describe adulthood. What were you writing about? I was writing about the experience of inner city kids in Labrador Grove and how what was perceived as gang culture was actually just people in underprivileged areas hanging out. You know, people call that a gang film. It's not a gang film. It's three boys hanging out on a day off school. Unfortunately, because a, a, a classmate killed themselves, but that happens, that happens too. When you were casting it, it also has to be said, your budget was what, 600 grand in all? Yeah, 565 or something like that. 565. Did you look for any with drama school training? Or did you manage to take that out of your head? No, there was no drama school training in there. There was definitely, apart from the, the adult actors, probably some of them. Too. I mean, it should be pointed out that a whole bunch of people who've gone on to do amazing things. David Ajala, he's in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Discovery. which you can see on Netflix, and he's got a huge part in that. Huge part. He was in, he was in the Dark in the Dark Knight. He he was in Falling Water, and he's done. He's just like just a huge actor now. Like, Would you like to take credit for the entirety of his career? <laughs> of course not but I mean I you, you, you look back and a lot of those people started from that film and the noise that film made really catapulted quite a few people I mean, you said you're very much a, a practical guy but the writing of a script putting those words on a page yeah. again did you just think well I better start at the beginning yeah kinda I mean I went to books etc and I bought every screenplay that I could get. All the films I firstly loved, like Go and Pulp Fiction and... Just to see what they look like American on the page. Beauty, to see what they look like on the page and just read them over and over again. And you start seeing patterns, like the guy wants this, by the end he gets it. Or by the end he doesn't, but he's learned a lesson about why he doesn't need it. Or, or in the middle, they've got it, but they realize they don't need it. And this masterclass in screenwriting was brought to you today by Endo <laughs> at the Rotunda. I just taught myself to write and just started writing properly. And you've continued to do that. You, you, Kendall, who was oh, up by adulthood. That tune was good, yeah. mate. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Right. Thank you, Endo. Sorry. And actually, I'm going to say, just for the record, for anybody who's listening, this tuna is farmed bluefin because oh. the wild stuff is, should not be yeah. eaten. Where did the step up to directing come from? Kidol comes out, underground success, kind of bubbles on the mainstream. The sun wants to ban it, you know, it becomes a mainstream not thing. I write a bunch of other movies. That's amazing. There's a very hot log is being held over searing bits of tuna again. Yeah, amazing. And so I went home and I sat down and I wrote Adulthood. I sent it to director Hoods, who had directed Kidulthood, and he was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm in, I'm in, off in LA. Pathé said, if Hoods isn't going to do it, who can do it? Because we don't really know anyone that knows this world like you, unless you do it. Went home, said to my wife, they told me they told me I should direct the movie, how stupid are they? I'll direct in 10 years time or something like that. And she said, she said, it was only four years ago I was lending you money to get to auditions. It's Mac. Thank you. Thank you. How do you know you're gonna be in a position in 10 years time to direct? And it was one of those moments, you know, like when Mr. Jones told me about Pulp Fiction, it was one of those like, I knew I was with this girl for a reason. <laughs> I said, you're right. So I called Path there, said, I'll do it. At some point we should point out Mickey and Doctor Who had come along, hadn't he? I think Kidothood was March, hey, March 8th. And Doctor Who was like March, I think Doctor Who was like March 20 something, I think. Did you rub your hands together with Glee? Had you been a Doctor Who kid? Yeah. 
Peter Davison was my doctor, his cricket sort of clothes and all yeah. that. I, I vividly remember him. And people talk about Doctor Who. I feel the same pet was really my your breakthrough. My breakthrough. And we did the, the new season, which was getting like 10 million viewers. We went to Arizona. Then the year after, we did Dominican Republic and Cuba. Then the year after that, we did Thailand. And it was while I was in, I auditioned before going to Thailand. And while I was in Thailand, got the call saying, yeah, you got Doctor Who. I started thinking, how weird is this? Like things I used to watch when I was young, because my mum used to watch Avi Simpson, and I, so I remembered it. And I was in that. And then we used to watch Doctor Who, and then I was in that. And I started thinking that was my kind of thing, that things that I watched when I was young would be things I'd be a part of. And it happened again with Star Trek. <laughs> so we look at it, the, the Kid Hood trilogy, yeah. 4321, Bulletproof, which had two series and got three specials coming out yes. on Sky. Yes. When you get somebody else's script, can you suspend the writer-editor in your head? It has to be something that I believe that I couldn't do. Well, you mean if you could write it? As good, yeah. Right. It's kind of like, well, I could do that, so why should I perform yeah, somebody else's? Maybe, maybe, no, yeah, it does kind of sound like that. I think I see it as kind of like, everything I want to do, I want to learn, and everything I want to do, I want to improve. I'm not going to improve if I play in a team with players that are just as good as me. I need to play in a team where I'm the worst player so I can become better. I have to be the dumbest person in the room because I want to learn. I want to learn from you, like, you know. With langoustine, with caviar. And with caviar and inside, this head part is the most delicious part. Ah. We cook separately. Yeah. It's the cook a little bit in, inside. Okay, inside is the inside of the head. I'm a big believer in sucking langoustine That's right now, it's eating everything. Okay. <laughs> we should explain what Bulletproof is, if for anybody who hasn't seen it. The number one show on Sky. Um, <laughs> what do you need to know? An action cop, buddy cop show with myself and Ashley Waters. Um, it's got guns, it's got car chases, yeah. it's got bromance. Yeah, it's a different sort of cop show than you would usually get in, in the UK, and, and we're proud of that. How did Bulletproof happen? Bulletproof for us was born out of necessity. Had my skin not been the colour that it is, I'd be doing a lot more than I'm currently doing, even now. Ashley had also been on a very high level for a long time, and so had I. And about eight, nine years ago, it came to our attention that our peers, who didn't look like us, were often doing bigger jobs and were often putting jobs together. That just didn't seem to happen with us. So I think we went to the Biffers. Is that the British Independent Film Awards? I went off for a walk and Ashley came and found me. And he said, we should work together. And we liked cop shows. So we just started creating this show. Wow. wow. So a box has just been opened with a piece of salmon that is smoking. Still smoking. It really is. Pounded around for like six years with it, trying to get it set up, and then eventually Sky were like, yeah, we're going to do it. And, and it, it went from there. And it's also ended up on screen in the States and yeah. all over the place. The story you've told is one of barriers overcome and success. You alluded to it in the, the antecedents of, of Bulletproof. The past few months has been seeing the rise of Black Lives Matter. You posted on social media about issues you face. Yeah, I didn't even post. I didn't even post a, a tenth of what I faced. I just yeah, but I dropped a few down there. Yeah, you know, being mistaken for a courier when you come in for a, a voiceover. Yeah, um, an agent thinking they're complimenting you for congratulating you for doing a part that you didn't do. Yeah, we, we need to acknowledge it's still shit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah. if I can put it that way, is the real truth about it. And those 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 two were were smaller incidents. The bigger incident was 
I mean, there's been many, but the, I think the bigger one at the time was the, the poster of the, the, the movie. Fisherman's Friend, and they left you off? Yeah. Um, Did the producers ever, Mia, you know, yeah, yeah. explain and yeah, say, we, we, we're well, sorry? You know, people try to defend themselves, and I, I pointed out, look, the simplicity is this, because a lot of people chimed in on that. A lot of people chimed in on that. Well, he should speak to his agent. He should talk about this, or da 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 or the billing. The you shouldn't line. have to. No, no, here's the bottom line. Every actor on that thing had equal billing apart from the two leads. My name's on the poster, I'm in the trailer. Here's the, here's the real crux of it. If I was a white actor who had starred and directed in movies and, and had multiple box office hits in this country, had won a BAFTA and Olivier, had a hit TV show that was in its second season, how would I not be on the poster? That is, that mm. is the question to answer. People would say, well, where's that guy? They think it's just about people of color, me, black people, bitching and moaning. It's like, but if you had all my accolades and you weren't on that poster with, with other people that haven't achieved a tenth, people would ask where you were. So the point is I should have been on there. And the producers and I have, have had a talk after that and you know, they've, they've understood where I'm coming from. I think it was pretty clear. They, they understood, you know, I don't think anything was done out of malice, but people made marketing decisions based on what they thought would sell the movie, and that's what happened. And they thought that the film would be more palatable and sell better. This is not what I'm saying, it's like I know the business, I'm a producer, without my face on it. Mm. How's the smoked salmon? Is it oh, good? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask a question so you can answer while I eat. <laughs> yeah, um, fantastic. But you've also said that you try not to let anger get in the way, that, it, that if you're really angry, it can just stymie you. Do yeah. you still believe that? You have to. It definitely is like, okay. There's an obstacle. How do I get around it? It fuels me. Work harder, write more, produce something else, get something else, succeed in another way. Like, it consistently fuels me. But that, I think that's, that's where I'm from. You're pointing out the window at that. Yeah. I'm just wondering what the Noel Clark of 20 years ago thereabouts, maybe a bit more. Yeah. The one who was living just behind those buildings over there would think about where we got to. Would he have expected the world for him to be better than it already is? Or would he be like, yeah, that's the way it is for kids like me who come from estates like this? It's so funny, I was talking about this literally last night. I think he would have wished that he could have made things happen faster. For himself or for everybody? Both. I think every advance that I made or people like myself and Ashley made, and I think it was us a lot. You know, a lot of the other successful black actors left and went to America. It's not that they weren't making a difference, but we're tangible, we're still here. Like, people believe that it can happen here, not just you have to go to, to, to Hollywood. The 24-year-old version of me or whatever would, if he could see this, he would wish that he could have made it happen faster and would try and find a way to do that but I don't think would be annoyed about what has been achieved thus far. So it's all really not a bad story, is it, mate? So far. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I mean, I'm hoping there's many more chapters and I'm hoping they're all as, if not equally challenging, I hope they all end in a, in a, in a nice result. You know, you, you just never know. You never do. So Noah, I'm gonna say as we, as we hit our beef, Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've got other courses to come. But I'm going I'm, I'm to say now, thank you for agreeing to come out to lunch with me. I've been thank fascinated you. by what, what you've done during your career. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get into the details, particularly, as I say, with a view over the hood. Yeah. Um, I still live around here, too. I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're not far away, are you? No, no. Thank you.
Noel really is the definition of inspiring. And those new episodes of The Brilliant Bulletproof, the cop drama uh, with Noel and Ashley Waters, are available on Sky Catch Up now. We ate, courtesy of Endo, at the Rotunda, White City in West London. And oh, how we ate. Um, and we wholeheartedly encourage you to share this podcast. Subscribe so that you get new episodes in your inbox. And do please rate us, comment on us, and give us, oh, come on, five stars. It, it helps us to keep making more. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged, and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs, Jemima Rathbone was assistant producer, the producer is Selena Reem, and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's psychotherapist and author, the wonderful Philippa Perry. I think we marry aspects of our parents. He might have been the sort of, the stiff upper lip aspect of my parents, whereas Grayson was more of the sense of humour and sense of play aspect. So I ditched one for the other.